0: Hello and welcome to my podcast. Today I'm joined for a couple minutes by Washington defensive end Chase Young and by my ESPN colleague Jenna Lane who covers the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Obviously, there's good reason to talk to Young. We'll get to that in a minute. And with Jenna, I wanted to talk to her because of course that's who Washington plays this week. But also because the Bucks were a dreadful franchise for a long time before last season. Not trying to paint a false picture of hope or false hope here for you about a turnaround here, but I am pointing out how things can change even in tough ownership situations. But you need the right guys at the crucial spots, coach, GM, and quarterback. And of course, you need an order to make that right call, but you got to get sometimes get lucky with that trio because we've seen bad teams get lucky there and they dig themselves out of a hole. Can that happen here? Don't know. One thing Jenna did tell me after we taped was how much Bucks coach Bruce Arians loves Ron Rivera and respects him as a coach. So there you go. Still a long way to go here. You can follow Jenna on Twitter at Jenna Lane, L-A-I-N-E, ESPN. That's at Jenna Lane, ESPN. And you can read both our work on ESPN.com. i have a story up on Chase Young's season, what he's getting used to, both criticism and extra attention up front. One question that was asked in his pressure, and I didn't address this with my little quick one-on-one with him, because I felt like it was addressed here, and I don't feel like it's a huge issue now, but it was about him missing the voluntary OTA sessions. He was asked that because he's not producing right now. So people are going to look at every single thing to see, hey, could this be the reason? Could this be the reason? I don't view that as any reason why he's struggling now. Not at all. I don't think he'd have one more sack if he had attended those sessions than he does now. As a team captain, of course, you'd like to see the guy there. It's a voluntary situation. I appreciate his honesty about making commercials and making the money. I do this podcast as a side gig. I get it. I do think there are some here in the building with the, with Washington who, wishes, who wished that he had couched that answer a little bit better. And the, I think that's a little bit speaks to maybe the growing maturity that he that he still has to undergo. But I think Chase is going to be Chase. And the one thing you, you'll see with him is I think he's he's fairly genuine. I think you saw that in the answer. Whether you like it or not, I think that's what it was. Also, I think after watching his last several games in 2020, that he can be highly effective again. There's no reason. He's got the talent. It's there. It's, it's obvious. He has to get back to striking opponents with violence off the edge. He gets in trouble when he not only stutter steps too much, but when his hands are all over the place then because of it. And I'd see him last year sometimes. He wouldn't stutter step. He might give a little hesitation move and go. More effective, I felt he was a little bit more consistent in 2020 down the stretch he's also getting chipped more, and I asked him about that he must learn how to handle that young is is an immature player in terms of his development he's very very young, no pun intended and there's a lot that he still must learn. I think he must learn how to you know this is a guy who's been used to winning so much not just on you know on talent he can he's had some good technique at times but he's had a ton of talent and I think that technique needs to catch up to the talent and that's what he must learn, and it's, wh- it's worth paying attention to down the stretch. It's a growth process. I still trust that he's going to get there. As for my prediction Sunday, I mean, it's kind of hard not to like Tampa Bay here. I have the Bucks winning 31-20, and it's mainly because of Tom Brady, of course. As you'll hear, the Bucks are banged up on both sides of the ball, but when you have Brady, you can overcome a lot. What I want to see is better and more consistent play in, from, from a lot of areas, but also starting with Washington's linebackers. Tampa Bay has been running the ball much better of late, and so Washington's linebackers Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis have to show up. The frustration here is that when one plays well, the other doesn't. I also want to see this team compete and play a good game for four quarters. Who doesn't? Make it a game, similar to the postseason loss. Tampa Bay is 7th in yards allowed defensively and 13th in points, so it's not going to be easy for this offense to, to generate a whole lot. It does not appear they'll have, and I'm going to get, I'll ask Jenna about the whole Taylor Heineke game last year. It does not appear that Washington will have Logan Thomas back. Hasn't worked through, through Thursday, has not been, has not worked. That would be a blow. And of course, there's still no Curtis Samuel. But I'm curious to see if guys like Dax Milne and DeAndre Carter continue to get more work, even with De'Ami Brown returning. I know the coaches like how both Milne and Carter have performed when given the chance, and I think they're excited about Milne's development now to what level we'll see but I think they like where he is headed Sunday is simple play well keep in mind they were also two and seven last year when they started to turn it around I don't know if they can do it again this year I'm not counting on it just like I didn't count on it last year but it starts with playing well give your fans a reason to believe that you're capable of turning this around not just for this season but for the future get can you get to seven wins I think it's going to be awfully difficult, but can you do it? I don't think it's unreasonable to think that they can give Tampa a game, considering the Bucks' injuries. That would be a good start if they can at least play an acceptable game. Where down the stretch, maybe you lose by a late score or something like that, but you're competitive through four quarters. That would be a good start to the second half. Then you got to start winning. That's it for me. After this break, I'll be back with Washington defensive end Chase Young. I only had a few minutes with him, but I asked him why he doesn't feel any pressure and how he's dealing with the extra attention from offenses. Welcome back, now here's my quick conversation with Washington defensive end Chase Young. One thing I was curious about for you is those double teams and the chips. It looks like the chips are a lot different than they were last year when I was watching, like I saw double teams, mm-hmm. not as much chips. Is that different and how how hard is it to get used to where they're coming from, how you need to react and all that?
1: Man, it's, uh, it's definitely something I feel like uh, you gotta take it play by play. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with some players, they're lining a chipper up out there and, uh, you know, I expect him to chip me and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. So it's really they try to yeah. play like a mind game. And it's really, uh, you know, it's just me as a player, I just have to adapt. Um, and really, um, I guess just keep dialing in like I'm doing and, you know, just keep trusting the process. But um, it's definitely a little different, but, uh, you know, um, I talked to Coach Rivera, and uh, you know we, we we got a plan together to try to fix that.
0: Are you aware too of like there are times I'm watching you rush up field like oh there's maybe you could duck inside, but then I see the guard looking mm. in your direction.
1: Yes. Is, how aware are you of that? I'm definitely aware. Mm. I get to slide every play, so basically the tackle gets to kick out. Mm-hmm. They might bring a running back to chip me too, and the guard is damn near on me too. Yeah. Um, it is what it is. You know, do,
0: do you like that? Do you like that? Atten- I mean, I know like you do want like to have no. the success. You <laughs> yeah. want to have success and all that. But they're doing that for a reason.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it it is what it is. Right. Now, you know what yeah. I'm saying? So you, you got to work through it. Um, you know, it happens to the best of them. Uh, but, you know, when I find out to beat it, it's going to be over.
0: Well, that's one thing I was wondering when I asked you in there about like talking to those guys. I was talking to Ian the other day and he's yeah. like, you know, you talk to Khalil, you talk to other guys. Who do you reach out to them during the season, and either former pass rushers, current guys, and just kind of seek out some advice? Yeah, you know, it, and, and it
1: ain't even really reaching out. Like I have know Khalil Mack since like ninth grade, okay. so you know I can I could hit up Khalil, rap to him about anything. But uh, no, definitely, um, you know I definitely like to talk to you know other pass rushers who've been through it. Uh, cause what do they tell you? I mean, I mean it, it's a lot, obviously, mm-hmm. but you know just you know a lot of a lot more. You can beat it with power. That's all I say.
0: And, you know, like, when I'm, again, I went back and watched all your stuff at the end of last year, and you looked violent with the hands and all that. Do you, when you were watching, do you sometimes, because even in, like Ron will say, like, well, just let the game come to him. Do you sometimes look back at your game and say, oh, I was forcing it here, I need to be better here with this?
1: You know? Um, I just, I think it has a lot to do with a lot, right? Um, it had to do with, I feel like, uh, me not trusting uh, mm-hmm. my teammates, um, us just not trusting each other as a whole. Uh, you know, I might think somebody might, you know, going to be out of place, so I might right. got to cover that. There, boom, right. you know, so you know, what I'm saying. So it's just how it has to fall. We just had to trust each other.
0: Do you when um, with with the hands and all that? Do you what do you look at and how do you assess that? And I'm like, I also I'm asking basically, these questions. Basically, just
1: yeah, I know, I know, John. Basically, just every every uh, pass play, some type of hand just has to be used. Okay, so that's what you know.
0: And then last thing that I, you, you say you don't feel the pressure. Why not? Like what what allows you to? Because some guys will. You, I'm watching before the Denver game. You're mic'd up and like, I don't see anybody who's happier to be on the field than you. And even so, why don't you feel that?
1: Because I'm blessed. I don't want no pressure. I'm blessed. I get to play on Sundays. Um, I can got you know, support my family. I'm comfortable. I'm blessed. I just can go out there on Sunday and just play my ball. Cool. Hey. Thanks, man. Appreciate
0: it. After this break, I'll be back with ESPN's Jenna Lane. Before Tom Brady arrived, what started to spark Tampa's turnaround? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with ESPN's Jenna Lane. All right, well, I'm very excited to have Jenna on because she covers a team that's been terrific, but she also understands what it's like to cover the kind of team that I am covering. Because for years, that's what she did. Jenna, first of all, how long have you covered the Bucks?
2: Since 2007. But actually, Oof. if you go back even further, 2006, when I was an intern in college. So I did not cover the team in 2008. I went over to baseball and did some freelancing stuff as well on the side. But then back 2009, and then straight on through um, – to present day, I've covered the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just for different outlets. So it isn't quite the roller coaster ride. Right. And that's
0: why I like, so for people listening, because I know these people listening, they've been, they've been through a lot. So between, I looked it up from 2011 to 2019, that's nine seasons, no winning seasons in there, right?
2: There was one was winning one in season. And okay, so they had a 10 Maybe it was one winning season in there. They yeah. had one nine and seven year uh, in 2016, but they didn't make the playoffs. So okay. it's crazy because last year was the first year I covered a Bucks playoff game since their <laughs> first one, which was in 2007. And that was my first year out of college. I'm dating myself a little bit, but that was my first year out of college. So it was it was quite the wait.
0: So what? what obviously, Tom Brady comes in and turns it around. Did you see? You know, first of all, during that stretch. Why was it so bad? And like, because people here they they're convinced that they'll never win under Dan Snyder. They have two decades worth of proof to look at. But what was going on during that stretch that you felt like held them back um, during that time?
2: There was a lot of change. You know, Malcolm Glazer, who's the patriarch of the Glazer family that owned the Buccaneers. You know, he was the one running things for a long time, and then he slid into poor health, and so there was a transition of of ownership where you know his children and You know, there was there was some, I guess, growing pains, you'd say with that, like with any sort of transition, and then you try to get the right pieces in place and things started to fall apart when uh, I'd say Rich McKay left uh, after the Bucks had won their Super Bowl and then Bruce Allen, who you're very familiar with, had a good working relationship with John Gruden. They tried to keep things together, and they fell apart because they had mortgaged the future to get Gruden. And then they were not hitting on their draft picks after that, and they didn't have draft picks. And so they were trying to build a team with a bunch of free agents, and that was very difficult to do. They couldn't have any sort of continuity with their quarterback position, Tom Brady was, was really the first quarterback that they had signed to a second contract, unless you count Ryan Griffin, technically they brought him back, but he was a backup. So I don't know if that really counts, but. Tom Brady's really the first quarterback they had signed to a second contract, which is absolutely insane when you think about it. That just illustrates the lack of, of continuity they had year after year after year. And they just went through so many coaching changes, so many general manager changes. I know when they had Mark Dominic and Raheem Morris, it was a first-time GM and a first-time head coach. And the head coach didn't even choose his staff. And, and that just it didn't work out well. And that was actually something Bruce Arians had said to me today, not related to that, but he felt like it was really important for a coach to always be able to choose his staff, but um, they made progress in certain areas. You know, they got the first overall draft pick and selected James Winston. They, they started to hit on a number of guys in the draft. I thought Jason light was a big hire, but they just couldn't quite get it together. And You know, they had these seven and nine seasons after a nine and seven year with Dirk Cutter. They decided to make a change there. They brought in Bruce Arians and it took a little bit of time. But then all of a sudden the magic happened when they brought in Tom Brady. And, you know, truth be told, while Tom was a huge piece, he was the key piece that that they brought in. He wouldn't have been able to do it alone. They had a lot of pieces in place that allowed this to happen. And he wouldn't have come to Tampa if there wasn't a strong roster right. of guys that had been there for a long time, like Levante David, like Mike Evans. Chris Godwin was a blossoming player. You know, Devin White was a guy that that was really starting to make his mark in the league, even though he's, you know, coming into his third year. Um, and, and so there were a lot of pieces that were in place there, but, but certainly Tom brought really brought everything together. And the the biggest thing I could say about him is that for so long and dirt cutter, this was probably his biggest obstacle as as the head coach of this team was he had said, this team is always finding ways to lose games. Whereas Mm -hmm. like Tom comes in and it's the fourth quarter of a game like the wild card game, or actually, I should say, like the divisional game against the Saints, where it's 20 apiece going into the fourth quarter. And these guys are like, there's no way we're losing this game, even though they had lost right. to New Orleans twice already that season. They're like, there's no way we're losing this game. Oh, and it was played in New Orleans. We know what a hostile place that is, even though it was during COVID. Mm-hmm. It's still a difficult place to play. Mm-hmm. The, the, the speed that that team has on that turf is, is just... They're very difficult to stop, but they just said, there's no way we're losing that game. They didn't lose that game. So it was the sense of belief that he brought them that really just changed everything. And also when you're around Brady and I've never felt this around any other athlete before granted, um, you know, I have been around people like Derek cheater. Um, I have been around some players that, that were, you know, hall of fame type players that, that cared a lot about what they do, but I've never been around somebody that has cared so much and you can feel it when you talk to them. And, and you, you can tell that teammates feel the same way. He will text them or call them or whatever at three o'clock in the morning. And absolutely, they're there and they're responding. And um, because they know how much it matters to him. And it matters a lot to them, too. But when you have a teammate and a leader that it just cares that deeply about success and, and wants everything to be perfect, you don't want to let that person down.
0: Right. Well, and, and, and that's what I say, too. When, during that stretch where it was really bad. What was it like for the fan base and for you as a reporter looking at it, did you ever think there was hope for a turnaround?
2: Well, because I was here in this city and I remember the first turnaround with Mm -hmm. Tony Dungy. I remember he came along. I was in grade school. Again, I'm dating myself here. I'm telling people how old I am, whatever. But uh, I remembered the hopeless feeling before he got here. And then it's like, he comes in and they get these new uniforms and they're in a stadium with a pirate ship. And and all of a sudden this team went from being a laughingstock to nothing else matters on Sunday, but what's going on with the Buccaneers. And it was a great time for me to fall in love with football, but I saw the way this city, just how it, how it galvanized this city. And you know, I remember the the heartbreak of the 1999 NFC championship game with the Burt Emanuel rule. And I remember the heartbreak, the heartbreak in Green Bay when they came close to going to the Super Bowl again. Right. And then I remember when they finally did it and you just never thought that was going to happen. So I think always in the back of my mind, I believed it was possible that it could happen again because I had seen it before. They had done the impossible once before. And, and I didn't feel like they were a bad team per se. I mean, I've seen some bad buckball, like in the early, or not the early, but I should say the 2010s, 2011, 2012, kind of that, that span um, that was also coinciding with blackouts, which to me, that was the worst part about that tough time because you already had fans that were checking out. And, mm. and then all of a sudden, when you don't have the games on TV, you really right. start to see this apathy. And that's scary because it's one thing when you're losing and everybody's just ticked off and everybody's week sucks because the right. team played horribly because it, it's still a town that loves its football. Florida loves its football. But when suddenly people stop caring and they start doing other things on Sunday, then it becomes really, really, really bad. Right. So this team had a lot of obstacles they had to overcome. But, but again, because I saw them do it once before, I think I always had that, 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 sense of belief that it was possible to do it again
0: besides brady what were you when you look back say what's the first really good move they made that then you look back and say this was the real start of the turnout because like you said they had to have a roster that would entice him to go there
2: it's bruce arians because jason light the gm was really on the hot seat and he had to make a difficult decision to part ways with Dirk cutter he mm-hmm. had already been part of the regime with lovey smith and jams don't always get a second chance let alone a third chance so dirk was his decision and that wasn't an easy move for him but dirk was his he chose to elevate him so that was his hire and then when that doesn't work out for him getting bruce arian's that saved his job. And I think that combination, you know, Bruce and and Jason, they don't always see eye to eye on everything, but there's a high level of respect there. And there's times when Jason will say, you know, when Bruce has done this for a long time, he has coached really talented winning football teams, even though this was his first Super Bowl. He was part of other Super Bowl staffs. He's got this sense of confidence that I think Jason has has understood at times I can defer to Bruce on this and we'll be okay there's that trust factor we might we might not always see things eye to eye but I'm comfortable deferring to you on this and with this coaching staff you know they've been together for such a long time I, I remember watching them during camps and this is before Brady got there but just feeling like You know, this is a really good group of teachers, but also like they really believe in each other. They believe in their system. They believe in what they're doing. And I think when you have that kind of conviction coming to work every day, it changes a lot of things. And I think it really, you know, players can feel that. I was talking to Drew Stanton about that when Arians was first hired. He said his sense of confidence just it radiates through everything, everybody can feel that. So, and I don't think you get Tom Brady either, if you don't have a coach like Arians where, you know, he has worked with some of the best quarterbacks, you know, he has worked with Andrew Luck. He's worked with Carson Palmer. He worked with Peyton Manning. Um, And, and he also, you know, he's got a unique personality that you don't see with a lot of coaches his age either. Um, He's a coach that, you know, yes, he was schooled in the Bear Bryant way of coaching and and so he is old school in that aspect but he's also extremely open-minded when it comes to new ways of doing things for a guy his age to embrace sports science the way he does some guys his age might be like football's gotten too soft we're gonna keep doing things this way we're gonna keep practicing out of the heat no like bruce is i mean they, they're wearing gps monitors and and tracking these guys as steps and they're they're you know constantly measuring their hydration levels which the hydration part that's nothing new in football you're always wanting to measure your guys's hydration but like oh this guy took too many steps today we're going to give him a day off or we're going to we're going to be really proactive you know we're going to give Gronk these these off days on friday we're going to give sue these off days on friday because we want to make sure those guys are fresh on sunday based on the information he's getting from the sports science department um, you know, I, th- I think that that's really big. And I think that's also really appealing for a guy like Tom, who, as we have seen, he's also very much into that new age of doing, yes, we've heard. <laughs> it's not always about working harder with him, although he does work extremely hard. It's about working really smart with all the pliability, and the nutrition. Yeah. He's a big hydration guy too, as yeah. you guys all know. Yes. So, um, you know, I think it's really a combination of that, but I think for, I think where it really all began is the fact that, you know, the Glazer family made the decision to keep Jason light. And Jason goes and gets Bruce Arians. And they they had a relationship together from their time in Arizona. And, you know, things things really started to turn around for them there. Maybe not instantly, but they did start to turn around.
0: And then with, with Brady, when did you see, when did you feel that, because I know like the first year is by COVID, so a lot of it's by Zoom. But when did you feel that presence and what struck you about it?
2: It might have actually been in one of the first Zoom calls, which mm. is wild because, um, I did not talk to Tom face to face for the first time until I want to say May of 2021, like after they won the Super Bowl, that, that was like the first time <laughs> I actually stuck out my hand and said, Jenna Lane, it's so nice to meet you. <laughs> and he agreed. He's like, this is so much better than Zooms," And he is so much better than Zooms. But I remember the first Zoom call we had with him just the look in his eyes. Like you just could tell how much it really mattered to him. Not that any of us don't take our jobs seriously because we do, we don't always take ourselves seriously, but we take our jobs really seriously. Cause we know like, Hey, there's, there's a lot of people out there that could only dream of working in sports. So totally get that. Although <laughs> I always say, I do like the fifth next best thing because like the players, the coaches, the GMs, like the folks that are, that are running the show, like their jobs, like those jobs require a ton of talent. Me. Right kind of like, you know, the fifth next best thing. You're, you're, you're way higher up than I am. No. You, you do a lot of stuff, right? Like you just told me you spent your bi-week on Capitol Hill. So <laughs> you're, in a, you're in a different league than I am, but um, no, I could just tell how much it mattered to him. And, and that that really, even, even through a computer screen, and I also had a chance to do a, a Zoom with him one-on-one as well uh, shortly after that, or I maybe mean, it was a few months after that, but like you could just see it in his eyes and you could just tell that it really, really mattered to him. Um, and that this was just really important to him. and and you kind of got a sense of of, okay, this makes sense now as to why this guy, you know, puts himself through this crazy diet and why he, you know, devotes his entire life to preparing to play football games. It's what this guy loves. You can see why this guy's whole life has been about football for the last twenty, now, twenty plus years.
0: You know, it's funny too, because for you, you go from covering a team that was under five hundred most time. To now being on get up all the time so that, that must have been kind of a crazy crazy year for you and the transition or the abrupt change you know And you did a great job on tv you know so you do so but that Thank must you. have been that must have been a kind of an interesting change to go from zero to 60 almost right? i was
2: on the phone with our editors and our bosses and they were telling me your life is about to change and this was <laughs> while i was in my car standing outside or sitting outside the Bucks facility, because this was during COVID when everything was starting to shut down and we couldn't even go inside the building to use the bathroom. And, and he hadn't been signed yet, but, but we knew it was coming. And, um, I just remember our bosses were like, your life is about to change. Yeah. Things are going to be really different for you. You're going to have a lot more eyeballs on you. The pressure is on. And, and so I, I definitely felt an increase in expectations there. And, and I, I hope that I've been able to live up to them. I know I know some folks aren't always gonna be fans of mine, but um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for me during that time, honestly, this isn't to be like a tearjerker, jerker, but um, the stadium, or I'm sorry, the, the Bucks facility is right across the street from a hospital. And this was right when when things were really getting serious with COVID. And it's one of the bigger hospitals in the area, St. Joseph's Hospital. And you could see just this flurry of activity in front of the hospital. And you almost feel guilty. I know I did because mm. I'm standing out front of this facility and I'm on the biggest story of, of the NFL, you know, in this pretty dress and, and getting to talk about Tom Brady coming to the Buccaneers and life is so great. And it's like my sister, she doesn't work at that hospital, but she's a nurse. Right. I've told you this before. Yep. I knew that every day she was going to work scared to death. Like, right of what, because they didn't have adequate PPE at the time and the things that she was seeing, which, you know, if you've got a healthcare worker that was working at an ICU or a hospital at that time, they're all dealing with the residual effects of trauma. It's a real thing. I think because of that, there was no time to be scared. There was no, I couldn't doubt myself or anything because on my way home, like my sister and I would sometimes leave around the same time, she would call me to keep from crying. Mm. And it was like, she she sometimes she would want to hear about my day. She would want to talk about Tom and, and is he here yet? You know what about Giselle? Like she'd want to know all these things. And she was also really getting more and more into football. That was like her distraction. Sure. That was her outlet. Um, and it was like because of that, I just realized, okay, this is so much bigger than me. Like, you know, I might not think I'm doing a great job, or I might not be, you know, perfect because you want to be perfect. You, you,
0: everybody wants to be perfect, and nobody is.
2: And 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 it, I just think though that it's like, man. I honestly, like, I think my job's stressful, whatever. I, I don't get to complain about any of this because I, I have no clue what pressure is really like. And so I think no, that really right. honestly helped keep perspective. And honestly, the, the the one of the greatest blessings of this past year, um, aside from the fact that my sister is healthy and, and she's okay, um, you know, because we had a lot of scares, was the fact that she got to be one of the healthcare workers in the stadium, yeah. in the Super Bowl, yeah. no, in our cool. hometown. Yeah. She had a better seat than I did in the press box. She was right there, like next to the halftime show. And, and she, she primarily focuses on the heart and she's a nurse practitioner and she, um, she specializes in CVICU. She's sending me her, like, you know, she has one of those watches and she's sending me her heart rate. And I was like, oh my God, you're going to give yourself a heart attack because, and, and, and that thing was like 154 when Devin White had his interception there in her end zone. She loved <laughs> Devin White. So, um, it was so hard for me to concentrate on the game, I'm not going to lie. Like the game itself was, was just this crazy blur. I remember the plays, but it was also this blur because right. the whole time I'm thinking like thank you God for giving her this this yeah. small semblance of joy. And and I felt that way like times a million because you know there's there's you know I mean it was the stadium was filled with 22,000 people. And and they're all health, you know, they're a lot of them are healthcare workers right. and I'm thinking to myself every story that she has like there are countless others. Oh yeah. Who just, like her yeah. that are getting to experience this and knowing what she dealt with on a personal level I just like the whole time I just kept thinking about wow like it's just really cool that they get to experience this so I know I ra- I rambled a oh, little bit. oh that's great it just I honestly think that it's so it's a, it shows that we're a distraction and too yeah I just I think it's it's so important that you have family that, that helps you keep perspective and yeah. honestly like I think you just try to do the best job that you can with everything that you do and you give it everything you have. But at the end of the day, like, you know, this job is really important to us, but ultimately like what matters most is like the people in our lives that we truly love and being there for our families. And, you know, she told me I somehow helped her through this crazy time. And I'm just like, all I was doing was, was just covering the team, but I'm honored to have been able to do that. I'm honored to to give her some, a little bit of a break.
0: And I I think I felt like that too last year, the importance of us serving as a distraction. And even with, with the podcast, with other things, like you knew that like for at least that period of time, somebody could focus on something that doesn't have to remind you of all that's going on outside there and just a little bit of a distraction. That's the best way to say it. But speaking of distractions and quarterbacks, and I want to turn to the game a little bit for a few minutes. And oh yeah,
2: there's a game, right? Yeah, there's a, there's a game.
0: I will say, like, I, I kind of enjoyed that conversation a little bit more than what we're going to talk about the game. I think people will too. But Taylor Heineke, and we were talking before we started recording this. He gave the Bucks the hardest game of any quarterback in the postseason. Yep. What do they say about him now?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. We were talking to Bruce Arians today and this was the first day we, we had a chance to really talk to everybody, him and the players coming off the bye week. We had Arians. Um, well, we had we had a couple guys and um, Arians on Monday, but today was the first like kind of normal day getting ready for for game week. And and that actually came up. The Bucks play. They faced uh, a number of future Hall of Famers between Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers. And and Patrick Mahomes during the playoffs with the guy that gave him the most trouble was Taylor Heineke. And why was that? And Bruce Arians had said that, you know, part of it was the element of surprise because up until kickoff, they thought that they were preparing for Alex Smith. They were really, really surprised by that. But at the same time, he said that guy is quick And, and they've faced mobile quarterbacks before, but he goes, that guy is so quick and he's really accurate. And a lot of times the guys that have the legs, um, sometimes maybe they're not always as accurate downfield. Right. Um, you know, maybe uh, I know that they, they didn't see the very best of uh, Justin Fields this year. They didn't see the best of Jalen Hurts. Um, Taylor Heineke is definitely a step up from those guys based on what they saw this past year. So it was a huge victory for them. It was also a huge victory for their offensive line to be able to you know, handle that type of pass rush right. this past year because it was one of the best defenses that they were going to face. And at that time, their offensive line had some injuries and they were just really starting to gel together. And that's one of their biggest strengths right now, I would say, is their pass protection. So uh, that game was really, really big for them to do that. And, and it was also on the road and, and so long since they had been in a the postseason, they didn't really know what to expect. So and, and if you remember that game, like it was you really did not know which way it was going to go late in the game like that. They, they hung That's around. Kind of they,
0: <laughs> yeah, and they hung around. And they got to a point where it's like, oh, they actually have a chance if they just do this. But when you're facing Brady, you have to have, well, you have to have a big lead at the end there most of the time. Or you have to make a play at the end. But with with this team, like, how are they different, better? And I know, like, the, you know, you just wrote about some of the problems they've had, some of the penalties and things like that. But how are they different this year or better?
2: This offense is so, so different. And they're missing a lot of pieces. Like, I mean, they started off the year red hot with Rob Gronkowski. In the first two games of the year, he led the NFL with four touchdowns, which is just not normal for a tight right. end. This guy was unstoppable. And if you remember the way he finished out the year last yeah. year, you know, he had two touchdowns in the Super Bowl. Like, he was he was on fire. So it was three consecutive games going back to last season where he had you know, two touchdowns, two tutties as he calls them. And unfortunately <laughs> in week three, he suffers cracked rib injury. He also, and I don't know medically how this is even possible for someone to have a slight pinch in their lungs. Um, I <laughs> talked to some medical professionals that are in my family about it, but nonetheless, he had some pinched lung, um, a slightly punctured lung, I should say. And he somehow played through it, which beyond my comprehension, but but he's been out. And then they, they finally thought they got him back, and he plays five snaps against the Saints because he starts right. having back spasms, which are actually connected to the ribs. So I've learned. So and he's, of course, had three three back surgeries that we know about with herniated discs and fractures. So this guy has a history of back issues. So um, but but prior to all that, like this offense was a well-oiled machine. The way they started year out, Antonio, Antonio Brown was hot. He's now injured, too. He's had an ankle slash foot injury that's kept him out for a few weeks. He also was out at one point because of COVID early in the season. But, you know, this offense, it just looked like Brady looked comfortable. I mean, last year he was talking about the fact that even midway through this season, he was calling out plays and it was like a different language. I, I didn't necessarily realize his level of kind of discomfort in the offense until he talked about it a little later. I didn't I mean, because to me, he still looked like he was doing fine, but they also were able, and I give Byron Leftwich a lot of credit and he's a DC guy. So um, I give him a ton of credit because he was able to take Bruce Arians, offense, and he was able to take what Tom Brady did in new England. And, and by the season's end, they were able to really mesh those things together. Cause remember you bring Tom in, you can't do, especially with a pandemic and you're not having an off season. You can't tailor everything to what he does because you've got all these other guys, you know, you've got 10 other guys on offense like that are starting and and you have to do things that they're used to. And so in the beginning, he was playing Bruce Arians' offense. Now they're doing a ton of things that Brady really liked to do in New England. And there's a ton more pre-snap motion and, and even mm. motion at the snap. And there's a lot of play action. And, and there's so much more balance this year. They're running the ball. Like, we really didn't see their commitment to running the ball until the emergence of playoff Lenny, Leonard Fournette, right. during the postseason. And that that really, I think, just kind of – we saw it um, – really in that Saints game in the NFC divisional game where it was like, OK, you really started to see that identity take hold. And and so that's that's continued. And that's honestly helped them a lot without A.B. and without Gronk. Um, it's made it easier for other guys to kind of step in. And now the, the latest injury since I'm talking about him is Chris Godwin. He missed practice right. today because he's got a foot injury. And we're like, when did this happen? Because it didn't happen and we didn't see it happen in the Saints game. And the fact that he practice is, is pretty significant. Arians doesn't know what his status is going to be yet for Sunday. But, you know, and he had a lot of injuries last year, but he's been like a rock for Brady. He's this been really year. good
0: this year. He's in
2: that slot, but he's not like a typical slot receiver. He's a big slot, very right. sure handed. He's been super consistent. I know he was dealing with some ball security issues around the time that you saw him last year, but he's been so consistent. So you're like, what? So that's really going to be interesting because they're losing a lot of guys on offense. That is a All lot. Of the injuries were defensively. They 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 were they were kind of okay on offense for a little while early on. And now it's catching up to them.
0: And that's the last thing I want to ask about the defensive injuries. Who do you expect back this week? Where or where are they still banged up? And who would you expect back in the impact?
2: Yeah, well, the biggest injuries that they've had have been in their in their secondary. Like they've been without. You know, they've been without their starting cornerbacks for a while now. Uh, Sean Murphy Bunting since week one, Carlton Davis since week five. Davis isn't back yet. Murphy Bunting just came off of IR. It's too soon to tell whether or not he's going to play just because obviously that's a position where you're sprinting a lot. He has not played in some time. Uh, he's coming off a dislocated elbow. He showed me, you know, he's got some good range of motion and I'm part of the dislocated elbow club. So I can certainly appreciate that. Cause it took me a lot longer than just a few <laughs> weeks to straighten my arm again. Um, he didn't have to have surgery. So he was lucky, but you know, he's playing with a sleeve and, and I, I don't know if they're necessarily in a, um, a rush to get him back per se, cause they want him to be back and healthy. Um, but Richard Sherman who had a hamstring injury and was active against the saints, but didn't play. Arian said he's good to go. So I think okay. he's a guy that you probably could expect to be out there. So I would probably guess your starters would be Jamel Dean and Richard Sherman. But even Dean has been playing on like a banged up knee. And I don't always think he's, I don't think he's been hundred percent this year. So, and then you probably have Ross Cockrell still in this slot, but at some point you will see Murphy bunting go in there. I don't know if it'll be this week. It might be next week. You know, he's got, he's got three weeks essentially. Cause they activated him, you know, the 21 day practice window last week. He could go at any point. It wouldn't shock me if they rested him one more week, but we'll just have to see how things go. But um, you know, those those guys certainly uh, it's it's difficult when you're constantly like I was looking at a lot of their penalties. Penalties have been a big issue for them. Right. And it's like well, they've had so many different guys. It's not like it's one guy. Right. They had so many different guys in the back end, and they're getting a lot of defensive pass interference calls. And I feel like. If you've got guys that are back there and they're comfortable, they'll trust their technique more right. and they're not going to be making some of those mistakes per se, or they're not having to make some of these mistakes, make some of these moves where, yes, it's going to, it's going to, you know, ultimately cost them a penalty, but it's like, okay, you saved a touchdown there. You know, you'd be able to trust each other and trust the coaching a little more, but also keep an eye out for Jason Pierre-Paul too, because he posted over the bye week couple tweets that really just kind of blew my mind because he said he's been playing with a torn rotator cuff. And he's also got like a, a finger that's like broken in two. Ooh. And he said that this rotator cuff, he, he said, you know, I've, I've had some injuries before, but this rotator cuff is playing with this is like the most painful thing I've ever dealt with in my life. And I'm like, you literally had a fireworks accident <sighs> you had to have a, your finger amputated. You suffered burns on your hand. You lost portions of your other fingers. Oh, and you were in a car accident where you fractured two vertebrae in your neck. And you're telling me that this is the most painful thing you've ever dealt with. Like, I mean, and he, he's, I think he missed two games. He missed two games this season. The fact that he's playing through this and he's playing with that kind of pain. Yeah. I mean, it's... wow. I, I don't know if, if, if towards the stretch because they do have a rookie that they drafted Joe Troy Shoyinka who has performed really well and, and so, you know, he's not quite the run defender that, that JPP is, but JPP said, man, I wish I had that guy's stuff when I was a rookie. Like that's how highly he thinks of him. Wow. Um, it, it's great that they have him this year to be able to rotate him in so that JPP doesn't have to kind of carry that burden all by himself, because for him to talk about pain like that, and he is not a weak guy, I don't think anybody thinks that he's soft. He's like the last person on the planet <laughs> to consider soft. Nobody so that. for him to say that is pretty significant. So I'm very curious as to how that's going to affect him down the stretch.
0: Jenna, awesome stuff. And I, this is why I like talking to you because your insight is always, always really good. And for thank people you. listening, for people listening, she wrote a story on, is it John Spitek? Is that I? Yes, um, yes. Box executive who ran the New York City Marathon in honor of his late daughter. I think she had died the year before, but a really good story. It was on there a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, but go check it out because it's worth, oh. it's worth reading. So Jenna, thank, thank you. you very much.
2: Thank you so much. Yeah, it was a, Evelyn Spitek was her name and she died of CMV. So I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that um, okay. he was, he was running in honor of, of her and other babies affected by CMV. So um, if you're not familiar with it, definitely check it out because it's one of these respiratory,
1: right. you know,
2: one of these viruses, of like a common cold, but for pregnant women, it can be absolutely devastating. And one of the cool things I learned in doing that story um, is that? And by the way, they're still they're still telling how much money he's raised. But I know he was telling me, like when we put the story out, I think it was like twenty five thousand dollars he had raised, which is a lot. You know, maybe not if you hang out with people like Bruce Arians and Tom right. Brady. Maybe it's not a lot, but for all of us, it's a lot. Yes, yes. But the last I checked with him, he's like, yeah, we might get to like 55 60,000 Like, wow, and, and this is huge because you know, there. This is something not a lot of people talk about, but it's affecting, it's affecting babies. And, and, and a lot of times babies won't even show symptoms, but two years down the road, all of a sudden a child can wake up and they can't suddenly hear anymore. So if they detect that a, a pregnant mother has this, they can give her antivirals and they can also give the baby antivirals. So they're fighting to make this part of routine infant screening. And, you know, they're, they're just trying to raise awareness for it, but it was, it was really beautiful because he t- took up running to help cope with the fact that his daughter uh, was so sick, and then she died, and and he had just said that running a marathon is a great metaphor for life. So I think anybody that has ever dealt with grief or or has has you know kind of understood what that does to you can really appreciate his journey. As and he also lost his job uh, two months after his little girl died. Uh, he was with the Cleveland Browns at the time. So I think anybody that's ever dealt with grief and hardship can really appreciate the journey he's been on. It was it was cool the fact that he got to do it during the bye week.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, Jen. I appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much, John. See you soon.
0: That's it for this episode. Thanks to Jenna for joining me and thank you as always for listening. I'll be back with another episode after Sunday's game. Talk to you next time.